Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free ridiculous crime is a production of iheart radio zarin elizabeth you know it's ridiculous oh my god i'm so glad you asked me that 10 gallon hats yes totally ridiculous all right if you poured water in them or Uh like beer or champagne or whatever Do you know how much it would hold? How much liquid? 10 gallons? No, one gallon. One gallon? Yeah. So people are always like, wait a minute. How much? Why is it called a 10 gallon hat if it only holds one gallon of liquid? Like, you know, like, yeah. like smart aleck kids like me. Uh-huh. Well, it turns out there's a good guard darn reason for that. Uh-huh. The term is actually gallon. And it refers to a certain kind of uh, braid, uh, like a braided band that used to be popular. And oh. they were worn by the Mexican vaqueros around their hat. Okay. And you could fit... 10 gallons on that hat. So it was a 10 gallon hat. <laughs> the Americans and, and the English speakers of the region, they got it. They're like, You got a 10 gallon hat there for me, partner? You heard me, Pedro. Give me one of them hats. I liked how that looked on you. Now, these braided ribbons, they are called the gallon. So the next time you hear it, if you really want to be the smart out kid, you can correct and be like, Actually, it's a 10 gallon hat. So there you go. Ridiculous, huh? <laughs> Very ridiculous. Uh, you want to know what else is ridiculous? Girl, I came here for it. Wiretapping. What? This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Damn right. Now, you just hit us on Tuesday with a big Hollywood story. Yeah, I did. I'm going to hit you back. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I love this. this. We're going back to Tinseltown, baby. Bring it, baby. Um, I want to read a quote to you from today's fella. Sure. Quote. Uh Uh-huh. You have to be honorable, you have to keep your word, and you have to be loyal. Were there things that I did that other people find unreasonable or despicable or whatever adjective you want to use? I don't care. I care about that person who entrusted me to solve their problem. That's who I care about. 
Oh, yeah. Swifty Lazar? No. Who is this? <laughs> so this is a man with a code. Oh, okay. And that code is that he doesn't give a tinker's damn about what is legal and what is illegal. Oh, yes. So he, one of our people. One of our people. He had a client. Uh-huh. And he would do whatever he needed to do in order to meet or exceed that client's request. Okay. So this is not Swifty Lazar. No. Okay. This man... Anthony Pelicano. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, <laughs> yeah. yes. He was born Anthony Joseph Pelican. Uh-huh. Uh, he junior. changed his name to Pelicano? No, Junior, oh, in right. 1944 in uh-huh. Cicero, Illinois. Al Capone's hometown. Oh, yeah, gangster rich. And it's something that he liked to point out. Oh, of people. course. Uh, so he had these Sicilian, hey, Cicero. <laughs> these Sicilian grandparents. Mm-hmm. When they came over, they Americanized the family name to Pelican or Pelican okay. in order to get by in their new homeland. But Anthony... True to his roots, when he became an adult, he went back to the original Pelicano. He's like, Capone's not going to trust anybody named Pelican. Uh-uh, I got to no. be Pelicano. Exactly. So he joins the U.S. Bada Army boom. Signal Corps. Um, when they asked him what he wanted to do, he said, electronics, because he saw a magazine in the recruiter's <laughs> office with that on it. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, he trained to be a cryptographer, because like when he signed up, he said he was super into electronics. Smart, yeah. He got stationed in France. And that meant no Vietnam. People who like electronics don't usually get shot in the army. Exactly. Smart move. So when he got out of the army, he I got... I mean, when you say it in the draft, not like people who like electronics. A lot of them on the front lines. <laughs> You're like, I like electronics, Aaron. Yeah. I don't mean that. No, it's when you, when you enlist. Yeah, when exactly. you enlist, you tell them. Like. So he gets out of the army. He gets a job in collections. And okay. he's tracking down those who haven't paid their bills. And then that takes us to 1969. So he becomes an enforcer. Not for the mob. He's actually in legit collections. collections. He's still wearing a suit and a tie. Exactly. And so in 1969, he decides to officially become a private investigator. Hmm. Have you ever met a PI? Oh, yeah. I have a friend who's a PI. Yeah. I knew someone who transitioned out of that gig. Yeah. And she said it was lots of like sitting in the car. Sitting in the car, divorce work. Taking pictures of people having affairs. Yeah, totally. That still is the thing. Like from the 1930s on, it's been the same Uh thing. Sit in a car, eat fast food, take photos you wish you didn't have to take. (laughs) Exactly. So Pelicano, he sees all these ads in the yellow pages for PIs, mm-hmm. and he figures he, he should, like, start out at an established office. Okay. So he go, he, this is what he told the L.A. Times, quote, So I called the biggest ad in there, and I said, listen, I'm the best skip tracer there is. I want to do all your work. Give me your hardest case. They had been looking for this missing little girl for six weeks, and I found her in two days. How? With intelligence, logic, common sense, a tremendous amount of imagination, and an acute perception. So he really did. Yeah. He didn't just go down and like, like bribe the right people. No, no, no. He, he, really... knows, he knows how to do these okay. things. And he was a character. So he According... was a good detective. Oh, yeah. According to Vanity Fair, quote, he drove a large Lincoln Continental, sealed his letters with monogrammed wax, and hung <laughs> samurai swords in his office. Yes. At various times, he gave his employees and family members necklaces bearing a small golden horn he said contained a strand of his hair. Oh, my God. Much of his early work involved missing persons. Uh-huh. A 1978 article claimed that he had found 3,968 of them, Oof. which works out to about 440 people a year, more than one a day. <laughs> so it's he's like doing the Will really... Chamberlain of finding people. <laughs> exactly. I think he used to have an office on Sunset Boulevard. He, he did. We'll get to that. Okay. I remember people pointed it oh, out. Yeah. Like they'd be like, you know, that's Pelicano. Exactly. So 77. He made a splash by finding the stolen remains of Mike Todd, Elizabeth Taylor's third husband. Oh, wow. Yeah. So remains stolen? Tell me more. Yeah. Todd, <laughs> if you must. <laughs> he di- Todd, Mike Todd died in a plane crash. Okay. And he was buried in a Chicago cemetery. And what was left of him was, quote, basically a handful of dust and what was likely part of a nylon seatbelt. He was buried uh-huh. with a seatbelt? Uh-huh. Like, this is also his returnal remains? Yes, yeah, so it's just a little bit of stuff. That's a bad crash. And they put it in a rubber bag oh. and then tucked it into a coffin and buried it. 
They didn't even like get like a little crown royal bag. They could like, dress not. it up. Apparently not. I don't know why I rubber bag. <laughs> so around uh, June twenty fifth, yes. nineteen seventy seven, his grave is found all dug up. Okay. The coffin empty. Huh. Cops are on the case, but they're like they're coming up empty. Empty as the coffins, Aaron. Yes. So June twenty eighth, Pelicano he calls Chicago's Channel Two News, mm-hmm. and he says, "Hey, pal, listen, I got a tip about where to find what's left of old Mike Todd." Oh. And so Channel 2, they're all about it. They send out a news team, and plus then they tell the cops, which, Uh you know, is the right thing to do. So (laughs) everyone gets to the graveyard, and it is on. Pelicano, he stands in front of all the gathered folks, and he reads out loud the instructions that he had received from his tipster. Ah. And so then he starts walking the number of paces indicated. There's numbered paces? Uh He walks. Like a treasure map? Yeah. He gets around 75 yards away from the grave and he stops. (laughs) I found it, he yells. Oh, my God. Yeah. The detectives, like, come running over. And there's Pelicano pointing at a pile of leaves. Uh Now, the cops had already searched this pile, mind you. (laughs) So he reaches in and he pulls out a rubber bag. What? How on earth did he get the tip about the bag? Do you want my real answer? (laughs) No. So he told the Chicago Sun-Times that the tip came from someone likely acting on behalf of the thieves. Quote, I think they felt they made a tremendous mistake, he said. The information was volunteered to me. I'm a public figure, and I've handled many, many missing figures. (laughs) They could feel my heat on the collar. I was in hot pursuit. They were like, here, Mr. Pelicano. But that's not all. No. He, he said that not. wasn't all. Other tipsters and sources, they reach out to him, fill him in on the motive. Oh, multiple. Okay. Well, supposedly the thieves mm-hmm. were looking for a 10-carat diamond ring. In the bag of ash. Well, apparently that was his wedding ring, oh. Todd's wedding ring, and it survived the plane crash. And they thought Elizabeth would just put it in there as like a... Right. Well, Liz had it, though. Of course. She loves know? the rings and exactly. diamonds in particular. Exactly. So everyone figured it was probably the Chicago mob behind the whole thing. Oh, Okay. But the big rumor was that Pelicano was behind the whole thing for publicity. <laughs> that was and my that, guess. that publicity worked, though. <laughs> it right? was Pelicano. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he starts appearing as an expert witness for the government. Really? Things. Oh, yeah. He had gone through this thing where he, he, because of the finding Mike Todd's remains, and he winds up on some like police board, but then sure. he. Sure. In it, Chicago? Yeah, but then he embezzles money or he does okay. something and he gets kicked off. So then he starts appearing as this expert witness. It's like the at the end of the Richard Daly era, Chicago, the yeah. Sun, the yeah. Sun Daly. So his particular expertise was deciphering tape recordings. Oh, huh, okay. Oh, yes. And in 1974, he was hired by um, the lawyers for Nixon's secretary. What? They wanted him to recover that 18-minute gap Uh in the Watergate tape. And to be able to prove that it had been done correctly Well, yeah, and so he said he couldn't recover them, and he thought that the erasure was unintentional. Oh. Yeah, sure, buddy. Um, So, you know, he did all sorts (laughs) of other stuff. Uh, Where next, though? Where next, Elizabeth? When in doubt, move to L.A. Of course. Mm -hmm. If you shake all the country loose, that's where all the loose nuts go. (laughs) Exactly. He goes to Los Angeles, old Tinseltown, 1982. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he boosted his profile by hinting that he had connections to the mob. Ah, good one. They love that there. And to law enforcement. He played both sides. They also love that there. Yeah. So now in Hollywood, Pelicano got this really sweet gig with lawyer Howard Weitzman. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And Weitzman had a client who was accused of selling Coke to finance his business. Ah, that client? That old rub. John DeLorean. Yes, yes. there you go. <laughs> so there, there's a tape in which DeLorean referred to a suitcase of cocaine as, quote, better than gold. And so <laughs> Maybe it was really good. He was just, you know. Maybe. In the tape, he's meeting with these people that he thinks are investors, but they're actually cops. Mm-hmm. And DeLorean then, when the whole thing goes down, claims that he was being set up. So Pelicano, his job is to provide that, yes, to prove. Yes, he was he's, indeed he's set up. Pe- okay. Yeah. 
And so he showed the jury that the tapes had been altered. These tapes where he's calling it, hmm. you know, better than gold. Yeah. Um, and as a result, DeLorean's acquitted. He got DeLorean off. Yes. Wow. This was the biggest boost yet for Pelicano's totally. profile. So he Especially went in a town with a lot of people need to get off of. Right. And he goes up against the feds and yeah. wins. Everyone wants his services now. They always say they're like they have a ninety nine percent prosecution rate. Like right. if you beat the feds, that's yeah. So he's in the big time, of course. Uh, and he made sure to charge his clients accordingly. Mm -hmm. He charged a standard twenty five thousand dollar retainer. That retainer. was like the baseline. Okay. Yeah. And on top of that, he had other fees. Sure. That, you know, the price of his services could go into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, the twenty five thousand was so he would answer your call at three a.m. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So around nineteen eighty nine, he gets hired by a high profile attorney named Bert Fields. Yes. Yes. So Bert charged Bert. $900 an hour at the time. Okay. That's like $2,200 an hour yeah, now. that's a Insane. Lot. Ken Aletta wrote for The New Yorker that Fields, and Fields passed away in uh, 2022 mm -hmm. at the age mm -hmm. of 93. He wrote about Fields, quote, has represented almost every studio head and some of Hollywood's biggest stars, including Tom Cruise, Michael Jackson, Warren Beatty, The Beatles, John Travolta, Madonna, Mike Nichols, and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, legend. He, he has also represented Rupert Murdoch, the chairman of News Corp, and Steven Spielberg, David Geffen, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the co-founders of DreamWorks SKG. The unwritten calling card says, not wholly accurately, Burt Fields has never lost a court case. And he wears great suits. Yes. Or he did. He did. R.I.P. So, Pelicano's first gig with Fields was for a wildly Hollywood character, one accused of sexual harassment by a former assistant. Ooh. A song as old as time. Oh, yes. Very Hollywood. But this was none other than producer Don Simpson. Oh, no. Don my... Simpson, producer of Top Gun, oh, yes. Flashdance, Simpson Beverly Hills and Bruckheimer. Like, yeah. I told you, my friend, that was his, like, I know so much about him because he would tell me these stories. You know, one time Don Simpson, I'm like, I don't, it was like his, like, one time at band camp, but it was like, <laughs> one time Don Simpson, I'm like. And so we've talked about yeah. him before. He was completely out of control. Latch, terrible person. Just Serious? He was always hanging out with piles of cocaine and like sex workers who were just had to be there. Like, oh, yeah. Nobody who wasn't paid wanted to be around him. But he's a serious Hollywood power player. Oh, totally. But completely off the rails. Making $100 million movies. Everyone yeah. just like, gave him carte blanche because he wrote, he would basically go out there and make a movie and you know it was going to be that year's one of the big tentpole uh -huh. hits, uh -huh. 300 million, 400, 500, whatever it was. It'd be like, oh, wow, yeah. Days of Thunder, all those Tom exactly. Cruise movies. That, Boom. Yeah. So his assistant alleged that Simpson, quote, snorted cocaine in the office, ordered her to line up dates with prostitutes, exposed her to pornographic materials, and cussed her out. That sounds like a so him. Yeah. Out That's is... like a Monday. <laughs> okay. Don's so having a good Monday. In that New Yorker piece, uh -huh. it says, quote, Pelicano uncovered information about Simpson's accuser, including the fact that she had hired a male stripper for a party. Instead of addressing her charges, Fields questioned her character and credibility, and the revelations helped to get the case dismissed. <laughs> I love it. So gross. The character assassination in American criminals, like courtrooms. Oh, is... and Pelicano and it is seems to work top so of the often. heap on that. Yeah. I'm like, does nobody ever think, like, wait a minute. This is just like on Law and Order. <laughs> and I hate it when they do it there. Right. Anyway, but no. go on. So Pelicano, he had other stuff to do with Don Simpson. Mm -hmm. In August of 1995, the doctor who was supposedly working with Simpson to address his addictions was found dead. And <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. I didn't, I'm not Pel laughing about him dying. I'm like, the, the man who's trying to help you with your addiction dies. dies You're like, Look, of a drug I outlasted the guy who's been hired to yeah. help me with this stuff. Yeah. And so um, Pelicano's called before the cops. Mm hmm so he gets there. Toxicology, though, like he cleans up the scene. Toxicology eventually revealed that the doctor had a whole mess of drugs in his system. Oh. 
So who knows what else Pelicano? So he was helping him by doing the drugs. I guess I'll do all your drugs. I will do the cocaine faster. But see, the same thing happened in 1996, the next year when Simpson himself was found dead of an overdose. Pelicano is called before the police. Yes, tragic day for my friend. Exactly. So (laughs) another client of Fields, former Beatle George Harrison. Oh, he had a problem. I wouldn't have expected that. (laughs) He was was getting threatening letters. Oh yeah, and that's when he brought uh, that security expert Gavin De Becker into his Mm -hmm. life. Um, So Fields hired Pelicano again. And Pelicano found the letter writer within two days. Damn. And the letters immediately stopped. Damn. Well, yeah. he is good. I got to give him that. So this is why Fields hey, works Cicero. with him. Right. So Fields told The New Yorker, quote, he came up with stuff that other people didn't. He did that over and over again. He was just better. I don't know how he did it. It certainly wasn't wiretapping. Hmm. So like, wiretapping? Why would you say that? <laughs> Sorry, why did you bring up That's wiretapping? Okay. Who brought up wiretapping? <laughs> that. But wiretapping is the tip of the iceberg on this. It's the good stuff. Um, (laughs) Wiretapping or not, Fields was all in with Pelicano. Um, So according to Pelicano's employees, per Vanity Fair, Fields, quote, brought Pelicano into DreamWorks Animation CEO Jeffrey Katzenberg's litigation with Disney's Michael Eisner. Oh, a huge case. Tom Cruise's defense against a gay porn star's sex allegations. Mm-hmm, another big one. Imagine Entertainment's suit against Mike Myers. Oh, Two wow. names, but a few. Totally. I forgot so, about the Mike Myers one. You liked the late, great Gary Shandling, right? Oh, yeah. Loved yeah. him. He was a comic genius, bit of a tortured soul. Yeah, totally. But a good dude. Totally. Good, um, dark. I love it. Yes. Since I can't think of an occasion when you hadn't at least heard of something, most likely even no facts and details about, especially when it comes to Hollywood stuff. I was there. Or obscure Eastern European, Western Asian, ancient history. <laughs> um, I think you've heard about the beef between Gary Shandling and his manager, Brad Gray. I'm familiar, yes. Yeah. So let's take a break. When we come back, I'll tell you all about it and how Anthony Pelicano factors into it. Yes. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome. Hey. Hey. So when we last spoke, I was telling you about Gary Shandling and Brad Gray. Correct. So Gray, he started out in Hollywood as a talent manager. Oh, I didn't know that. And from there, he added in work as a producer. Okay. Um, his first gig was in 1986 with It's Gary Shandling Show on Showtime. That oh, yeah. That was his pr- first totally. producing thing. Huh. So Shandling, in that show, he played a stand-up comic who also knows that he's a TV character. Yeah. So he, like, interacts with the studio audience and he messes with storylines. Huge hit. Critically acclaimed, mm-hmm. ran for four seasons, and then it went into syndication on Fox. So the show led to Shanley getting another show on HBO, The Larry Sanders Show. Yes. That's another success. Totally. But in 1998, there was a falling out. Shanling sued Gray for $100 million. Whoa. He said that Gray cheated him out of the money he made from The Larry Sanders Show. Mm-hmm. Gray hired Burt Fields and countersued. Oof. Yeah. So Fields, of course, brings in Anthony Pelicano. Oh. Yes. Pelicano had a cop run unauthorized background checks on Shanling, mm-hmm. a former girlfriend of his, mm-hmm. his personal assistant, mm-hmm. his business manager, and actor Kevin Nealon, oh, who wow. is like one of Shanling's totally. best friends. So um, he also wiretapped every single one of those people. Uh, both lawsuits were settled, keeping it out of court, but it started two things. The open secret of Pelicano's illegal wiretapping. Okay. Um, and Pelicano's close friendship with Gray. Ah. So uh, Pelicano, he once gave Gray an eight-inch silver-plated switchblade as a gift. Oh. And the two of them were supposedly working on an HBO show together, all of The Sopranos. Was it I'll say about the mafia? He, yeah, Gray just produced The Sopranos. Yeah. But when that fell through, one of the writers for that project went on to develop a little show called Ray Donovan about a ruthless oh, Hollywood fixer. fixer. Yeah. Sounds awful familiar. Huh. I wonder where they got the material. I know. Some inspiration. So Pelicano... He's obsessed with the mob in The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. His ex-wife, Kat, said that Pelicano watched The Sopranos every Sunday night, quote, like he was going to church. <laughs> he was so into it. <laughs> it was his church, eh? The whole music in his office was the soundtrack for The Godfather, like the score <laughs> for the film. He wore sunglasses. <laughs> You've been hearing that like 18 times Oh, I know. Day. You're like waiting for him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he wore sunglasses that were an exact copy of the ones Pacino wore in Godfather 2. Okay. Yeah. His son, Luca... Yeah. Was named after Luca, Luca Brasi, yes. Don Corleone's favorite assassin. Who was an actual mob enforcer and then yeah. got brought on because he was a, what do you call it? A, I think a bod- at that point, a bodyguard for one of the families. And they're like, they'd worked out like, yeah. you got to hire some of our guys. But you know what? He sleeps with the fishes. Dude, Luca yeah. Brasi was real. So that same ex-wife, Kat, um, one of many ex-wives, oh, said, oh. quote, there were times when he would make my children kiss his hand like he was the godfather. He oh, started no. to think he was Don Corleone. Oh, no. Yeah. So he kept a baseball bat in the trunk of his car, and he threatened people with it. So that O in Pelicano's really jumping out Pelicano. for him? Yeah. Uh, he once told a reporter, quote, guys who f- 
with me get to meet my buddy here. Oh, talking about the bat. The bat, yeah, his, his old friend Louisville. <laughs> exactly, Mister Slugger. He was like deep into the whole Omerta thing. Oh yeah, code that, of silence. Yeah, loyalty, silence. Um, he had his staff abide by Omerta. How was he? Inf- they do it with a ritual. Like, oh, was God. he making them do I like a come know. into the office on Tuesday night? We're doing I the ritual. We're gonna burn a prayer card. I don't know. Uh, he called himself the sin eater. Oh, God. That he absorbed his yeah, client's sins totally. and wrongdoings and made them disappear by making them his. So let's circle back, though, to wiretapping. I guess that's better than being the death eater, you know? That's like, true. You're gonna be... That's true. So wiretapping. Yes, I wiretapping. Mentioned. Hit me up. It, it, what? No what wiretapping. What is wiretapping, Elizabeth? You, I didn't say he was a wiretapper. In 1995, he got himself a computer programmer named Kevin Kachikian. Okay. And he had Kachikian develop a system to intercept telephone calls. You say Kachikian? Kachikian. Good Armenian. Yeah, name. right? God, I love him. The two of them called this system that he developed mm-hmm. Telesleuth. Okay, Telesleuth. And they even applied for a trademark on it. Um, I don't, <laughs> nothing ever came of that. But Kachikian developed another program that went along with Telesleuth called Forensic Audio Sleuth. Okay. This one analyzed and enhanced audio recordings. Yeah. So, I'm sure they kind of use, it's similar to what they use now with all the like the passes where they do a pass and they can do gain on exactly, this. Exactly. Exactly. So he he creates one. Pelicano then bribed two Pacific Bell employees to rig phones <laughs> oh. so that Telesleuth could listen in on the calls. <laughs> we need source material to test like Telesleuth. The, the interception was done at the level of the phone company. Oh, it wasn't done in the home. He wasn't wiring their right. home. He so wasn't breaking in. He's not. Bra- there's no home break-in. Sure. If you sweep for bugs, you're not going to find any. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Telesleuth then linked the calls to Pelicano's office computers. And it says, like, someone else is on this line. What right. the heck? Yeah, well, they'd hear, like, little clicks and whatever. <laughs> so since the computers could only wiretap recordings from their own area, code yeah in order like so he's in 310 mm-hmm. and he's able to tap 310s so but for him to get calls in 323 213 626 818 mm-hmm. all the other southland area codes he had to rent an apartment in each area code where he could establish a computer establish and a hard a drive yeah. yep exactly huh. all of this was totally illegal oh yeah totally because in california all parties to any confidential conversation have to give their consent to be recorded. You cannot record a person on the phone in California. That's no. just the legal right and off the bat. And in most places, it's two parties. Some it's one, but that means that one of the parties has to be the originator of the recording. Yeah. This, you know, he's just snooping. It's illegal everywhere. So everyone suspected that Pelicano was tapping phones somehow, um, and he most certainly was, and it was <laughs> getting him results. The LA Times called him the least private private eye in town. <laughs> so he got he got hired by Tom Cruise during his divorce from uh, Nicole, Nicole Kidman. Kidman. Yeah. Kidman had her phone swept for bugs all the time. Mm-hmm. And she knew about Pelicano. Mm-hmm. And the sweeps always came up empty because the tap wasn't on her phone. Totally. When she was talking to friends, she would joke, quote, Tom, are you listening? Am I saying what you want me to say? <laughs> and Pelicano, line. Pelicano also had a direct line to the National Enquirer. And so he would leak stories to them all the time. And he oh. did that a lot for Tom Cruise against Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah. interesting. He had tons of celebrity clients. Uh, Jerry Springer used him to find out how he was videotaped in a threesome with porn star Kendra Jade and her stepmom. What? Yeah. I read that and was like, what? That's I a don't hell of a know. sentence. I say what, but I want it to stop right there. One time mayor of Cleveland. In- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Chris Rock yes. came to Pelicano when he was facing a paternity lawsuit filed by a Hungarian model. Huh. The tapes of their conversations are amazing. Wait, the Hungarian model and Chris Rock? No, Pelicano and Rock. Oh. Pelicano calls Rock honey. 
What? He's like, listen, honey, I'm going to, yeah. Chris Rock <laughs> is just like exasperated to the whole thing. They have a very graphic conversation about like how this could have happened. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, there's a tape of him talking to Courtney Love. And he calls her a baby, and he postures about, like, his strong-arm tactics. So Pelicano just calls everybody baby, honey, baby, sweetie. Baby, honey, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, he tells her, quote, if you come to me, that's the end of that. I'm an old-style Sicilian. I only go one way. I'm very heavy-handed, honey. Love, wow. super into it. She's like, yeah, I'm Oh, she's it. like, perfect. I need a hammer just uh-huh. like you. And that's the thing. Like, there's an appeal to a fixer like that. This is what you want from a fixer. Yeah, someone this can just make your make your problems go for. away. Yes. Yeah. And there's a certain excitement, like a romance of the notion that, like, this person is ruthless and they'll use muscle and intimidation to do your bidding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, you, you, I think, though, if you go one step past that, you want the Ray Donovan, which is discretion yes. is the better part of valor. Exactly. So not only will he, like, crack heads or, like, make people cry and say, I take back what I said or whatever, but also no one ever hears No one about ever knows. It. Exactly. But see, there's always another side to it. That's, like, those on the receiving end. Oh, yeah. No, it's terrible yeah. for them. I mean, this is not anything we would know or recognize as justice. No. His his most infamous case was in 1993. Mm-hmm. Burt Fields and a team of lawyers, they they brought Pelicano in to help defend Michael Jackson oh. from child molestation charges. Ooh. Yeah. Is so, this when they attacked the families? Uh-huh. Pelicano oh, yeah. signs on, but he said he would only do so if Jackson wasn't guilty. I will only work for him if he didn't do this. Okay. And then he said he told Jackson, quote, you don't have to worry about cops or lawyers. If I find out anything, I will f*** you over. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Damn. Does, does, he, does he know that Michael Jackson was always alleged to be an actual crip? Like, like crip gang gangster. Member? Yeah, like, like, a, a, like an honorary crip like gangster. Like he only wore blue? Like, no, like he was like the, the rumors, the, I don't know the truth of it, but the rumors, the alleged rumors is that Michael Jackson was affiliated like deep with the crips. I'm in love with that rumor. <laughs> yeah, I'll, That's fi- amazing. I'll find more find for that, you about find it. That. Okay. So, you know, Pelicano, he threatens Jackson. If you really did this, it's over for you. It's curtains for you. Okay. Um, and then he turns around and he goes after the family of the 13-year-old accuser and digs up any dirt he can find. He then organized a CNN interview with Wade Robson, Whew. a kid who was in that Jackson sphere. He yeah. later goes on to be like a choreographer, I think. But okay. at the time, he's like a tween staying at Neverland Ranch. Okay. And in the interview, Robson, he just like vehemently denies that anything like that had happened. He says he slept in the same bed as Jackson, but absolutely nothing untoward. It's the Macaulay Culkin story of like, I vehemently deny these allegations because nothing like that happened for me. Right. But then years later... Robson goes public, says, yes, I was actually sexually abused by Jackson. Oh, God. Yeah. Robson's mother said that she was coerced by Pelicano into doing the CNN interview that absolved Jackson of all guilt. So Jackson and the original family, they have eventually settled. Pelicano, he got a pretty penny out of the work. Like how pretty this penny? A million dollar fee. Okay. A million dollar bonus. Damn. And a Mercedes Benz convertible. Wow. Throw in a Benzo. Did he throw in like a, like a picture, a signed picture of Bubbles the Chimp? Probably. <laughs> That's what I would With a little handprint on it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Pelicano later said, though, that he fired Jackson as a client. What? He said he fired him because he said he apparently he found out about other even darker truths about Jackson. Pelicano said, quote, he did something far worse to young boys than molest them. I don't, which, I don't yikes, even want to know what yikes. that could be. I don't even want to imagine. And Pelicano's like, I'm out of here, which he kind of, he was supposed to be out of there earlier. And also whatever. he was supposed to F people up if he found out that he was guilty. He did not live up to his but word, Mr. Who's, Omerta. Who's not alive right now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just a joke. I'm not, I'm not accusing Maybe that doctor wasn't uh, just so, you know, <laughs> absent-minded or whatever. So, but here's the thing, like, uh, 
Pelicano, he claimed that he was offered $500,000 to tell the story of whatever darker deeds, but he refused. Why? I don't know. I thought he loved money and all that. I don't know. So Pelicano, he just keeps wiretapping and intimidating along. He's like, I've got wiretapping to do. I don't have time to talk. So busy about this. So there's a Canadian newspaper publishing heir named Taylor Thompson. Okay. She hired Pelicano to assist her in a custody battle. Okay. Like Toronto Star, do we know a paper? Yes. Yes. All the, like, yeah. The big all ones. Those. Okay. So um, Thompson was rich, mm-hmm. violently rich, as I like to oh, say. Oh, yes. Her family was worth $14.9 billion. Oh, yeah. wow. And Forbes said that she was the 159th richest woman in the world. Congratulations. Just two to above her. me. Yes. <laughs> uh, Thompson was living in LA with her toddler daughter. Okay. Um, as is the fashion for the rich who don't have a day job, she hired a nanny. Oh, of course. A, a woman Someone's got to hang out with that kid. Right. A woman named Pamela Miller. All right. So Thompson's ex still lived in Canada. He wanted more visitation rights for his daughter. Cue the lawsuits. Miller's paycheck came from Thompson. So when it came time to go to court, she felt like she had to back up her employer. Of course. But it wasn't the truth. Miller thought Thompson was lying when she said she spent a lot of time with her daughter. Because Miller said the truth was, I was the one who had the kid all day long, and Thompson was away from home many, many nights. Yeah. Um, that's not all. Here's, here's the, the amazing, horrible stuff. Miller wasn't allowed to give the two-year-old any carbohydrates because her mother, quote, wanted her to be very thin. Wait a minute. A They've got a... Two-year-old on a diet. She's like, uh-huh. look at these rolls. Can we get rid of these like, rolls? all up in the That's what makes the kid cute. I don't like it. Yeah. I want to see the, the bones. I want bone. I want, col- I want to see collarbone. Yeah, give me collarbone and ribs. That's what I want to see. February Like 2000- a racehorse. Ribs. <laughs> February of 2002, the little girl complained of an earache. And Miller, the nanny, said that Thompson, the mom, poured olive oil and sautéed onions into the ear to soothe the pain. What? I can't. Is that even like an old wives tale? The kid's not an omelet. I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard that sautéed onions in an ear. Are like you shoving it down in the neti pot? Like, how does that work? I don't know. But like, of course it doesn't work. So the kid is even in more pain. Yeah. Miller had to stay up all night to soothe her. Because like, where's the mom? She dumps the stuff in her ear and takes off. Yeah, now she's got like a mess and an infection. Yeah. So that was the last straw for Miller, the nanny. Okay. She rang up the dad in Canada. He was understandably upset. Just that, livid because like, he's yeah. like, I can't take care of the kid. And you, and you and aren't taking care in of the, the kid. Ear. Yeah. So Miller is now on his side in the court case. She signed an affidavit affirming that, you know, what she'd seen and what she'd experienced. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Thompson gets word of this and fires her. Okay. So um, Thompson found out that she had called, you know, and was planning to help in the case. So she turns around and she hires Anthony Pelicano. Oh, this poor dear. She's about to get her world His charge was to make Miller's life miserable. Yes, I could call that one. According, (laughs) According to Vanity Fair, quote, whenever she would get a new nanny job, she would be let go. Within weeks of her being hired by a member of the Michael Douglas family, she was let go. The same thing happened when she went to work for producer John Peters. Pelicano would stalk her, going as far as to sit directly behind her in a movie theater. She was wiretapped, and members of her family had their private information illegally accessed. They went so far as to take photos of her when she was with the children she had been hired to watch. Needless to say, not many wealthy parents wanted to keep a nanny who was being photographed with their children. Yes. Yeah. So charming. Charming. Wow. It wasn't just the foes of his clients that he went after. He also went after the press. He had his own foes. Well, yeah, the press. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So there was this journalist with the show Hard Copy, which I'm tempted to put the word journalist in quotation marks when talking about that show. But I suppose technically she she was a journalist named Diane Diamond. 
Um, she got a firsthand taste of the Pelicano technique. She broke a lot of news about the Michael Jackson case. Okay, okay. And following that, she was pretty sure her work and home phones were tapped. I bet. So she set a trap. Um, she tells the story of this in the New York Times documentary about Pelicano called The Sin Eater, which is very good. Um, to trap Pelicano in his wiretapping ways, she had her husband ring her up. Um, he didn't identify himself and just started talking to her about a documentary on Anthony Pelicano. Uh, he's going on and on about how he has this information, and Diamond is telling him that the project is really cooking along. It's going to mm-hmm. be so great. She hangs up the phone. A couple of minutes later, a lawyer from the hard copy legal department calls her. Uh, they asked if she was working on a documentary about Anthony Pelicano. She acts stunned. What are you talking about? Well, apparently they'd just gotten a call from attorney Howard Weitzman's office saying she was working on an Anthony Pelicano documentary. He wanted more information. There was her proof because there was no Pelicano doc. Yes. That call with her husband was the only time she'd ever mentioned one. And the only time she said the words out loud. Exactly. And there it is, you know. Boom. Good trap, an ego trap. It's like a honey trap, an ego. Exactly. But it wasn't just Diane Diamond who was the focus of this. L.A. Times reporter Anita Bush was also a target. Bush, a former New York Times reporter, was working on stories about the movie industry. One was about an allegation that one of action star Steven Seagal's producing partners was in with the Gambino crime family. (laughs) I mean, come on. Is that surprising anyone? She was also doing another piece about Michael Ovitz, the founder of CAA Talent and one-time president of Disney. Oh, yeah. Big lawsuit against Michael Eisner. Uh So she'd been writing about how his agency was failing, something he didn't take kindly to. Uh Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll find out what he did to Anita Bush. Oh. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Zarin. Elizabeth. Close your eyes. <gasps> you snuck it up on me. All right, my eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. Yes. It's the morning of June 20th, 2002. You're standing on the front lawn of your house, watering your hydrangeas before the heat kicks in. The birds are singing, and you wave at two kids riding by on their bikes. They see you and give you the middle finger. You <laughs> scoff and go back to watering your plants. You casually look over at your neighbor's house. She's a nice lady, newspaper reporter for The Times. As you glance over, you see that there's something wrong with her Audi in the driveway. The windshield appears to be cracked pretty severely, and there's something resting just above the wiper blades. Now, you were outside sweeping your front steps when she came home yesterday morning, and you didn't hear her car leave after that, so you know she didn't come home with a windshield looking like that. Like, what? You're just an attentive neighbor. Come on. <laughs> you turn off the hose, you head over to her house, stopping to scoop up the L.A. Times that had been delivered early that morning. You had heard it slap on the pavement uh, of her driveway. You know, you're just listening. You're attentive. <laughs> you walk up to her front door and you ring the bell. After a moment, she opens the door. Good morning, Anita. Here's your paper. I noticed there's something wrong with your windshield and wanted to let you know. Thanks, Gladys, she says. Then she pads out in her slippers to look at the car. As she approaches it, she turns back to you with a quizzical look on her face. You both see that what's sitting at the bottom of the windshield, cradled between that and the hood of the car, is an aluminum baking pan. A piece of paper is taped to the glass above it. Odd, you say. You both step closer and you see that written on the paper in big red letters is the word STOP, all caps. You gasp. <gasps> Anita reaches into her pocket for her phone and calls the police. She explains the situation. They tell her not to touch the tray and to just wait for them. The two of you sit together on her front stoop as you wait for the authorities. The LAPD rolls up, followed closely by the FBI. Their radios crackling, they approach and lift the aluminum tray. Underneath is a dead fish with a rose in its mouth. Wow. The color drains from Anita's face. You gasp again and then faint onto Anita's lawn. The same kids as before ride by and once again give you the finger. <laughs> So the investigation of this whole fish incident, yeah. which, by the way, a dead fish with a rose in its mouth. Yes. Like, you, what? That's the Luca Brazzi thing, but with a touch of class. With a touch of class. So uh, the feds discovered that an LAPD sergeant named Mark Arneson, who was on Pelicano's payroll, had run a background and address check for Bush. Okay. The investigation then kind of turns over to the Ovitz stories. According to The New Yorker, quote, Ovitz told the FBI that he paid Pelicano $75,000 to investigate two CAA agents and, among others, his former partner Ron Mayer, David Geffen, and the reporters Anita Bush and Bernard Weintraub, then with The New York Times, who were allegedly harming his ability to sell Artist Management Group. Oh, huh. So they knew, okay, well, maybe this has to do with him. Ovitz said he asked Pelicano for, quote, all kinds of information, but... He said that Bush was a friend of his, and he was never behind any threat to her. He also denied knowing anything about any illegal actions Pelicano may have done, saying, quote, I'm assuming whatever he did, he did it legally. I never instructed him to do anything illegal. <laughs> I'm thinking it's back to the Steven Seagal Gambino crime family, but that's just... Funny. Oh, interesting call. Yeah. So when asked about Pelicano's ties to Illinois mobsters, Ovitz said that he never saw them. Quote, to me... This is going to sound really stupid, but the couple of times I met him, he seemed really out of shape. He was just a regular-looking middle-aged man. He didn't look like those imposing guys on The Sopranos or in The Godfather. I'm like, did you watch The Sopranos? Yeah, that's exactly. That is not just a bunch of, like, hard bodies. Around <laughs> exactly. There. I think if you want regular-looking middle-aged men, there's your show. Just get some tracksuits that are velour, and you got and it. boom. Um, okay, so... 
Uh, Bush later sued Ovitz and Pelicano, Mm -hmm. and they settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. Sure. On November 21st, 2002, the FBI raided Pelicano's Sunset Boulevard office. Uh, Ah, yes. They found there a safe full of, quote, explosives, (laughs) two hand grenades, loaded pistols, and bundles of cash totaling about $200,000. So his go bag. His go bag, (laughs) exactly. He said that the explosives belonged to a celebrity client likely Don Simpson, and that he confiscated them and was going to dispose of them by throwing them off of a friend's boat. Oh, as you do. Yeah, you know that's how I get rid of them. That's the best way. If I don't, if I can't reach a pier, I'm like, hey, let's just go out this weekend. Just toss it. I'm going to bring some explosives. (laughs) I I need a dump. So uh, two months later, the FBI raided his offices again. Mm -hmm. They discovered that most of what had been in the office was now shredded or gone, (laughs) including the entire Michael Jackson case. Oh God, everything's gone. However, they found something in the back room. Pelicano called that the Bat Cave or the War Room. Mm-hmm. And in it were computers and like those CD ROMs sure. um, full of hundreds of hours of encrypted, illegally wiretapped conversations. And things I'm sure he didn't understand how to destroy. So he's like. Probably. And then there were also, but he could destroy 150,000 pages of transcribed recordings. Oh, wow. Get this transcriptions. So the FBI cracked the password on the protected files. Yes. It was office-322-omerta. <laughs> the files weren't the recordings of tape of the tapped calls for clients that they were hoping they'd be. Okay. Um, like the, you know, unknowing tapped. Mm-hmm. No, they were conversations that Pelicano had taped of himself, conversations with his clients. Oh, his and, own clients. Okay. These, he, these served as his notes, he told the feds. Ah, they're not like his blackmail leverage? No. But according to the New York Times, quote, in the calls, Mr. Pelicano was often heard posturing as if he were a Cosa Nostra mobster, boasting of his omerta-like code of honor, his connection to gangsters, and his distaste for, quote, rats. For somebody who has a love of omerta, he really doesn't understand the silent part of it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he understands the code part. He's oh, got yeah. that lock, and stock, when you and watch, barrel. when you watch that documentary, the Sin Eater, they play the tapes. And it's just like the way he's just posturing is phenomenal. Like anyone who really is involved with, in the Omerta, you probably won't ever hear anything about uh, it. It's going to be like someone no. talking about the war years. They just don't talk, don't talk about, about that. Exactly. That's the whole point. Well, and so these tapes and the interviews uh, with employees that the feds did exposed how Pelicano dug up all the information in the dirt he needed. So Vanity Fair lays this out. Quote, Please. first you get his, or in lots of juicy cases, her address. No problem there. A police sergeant on Pelicano's payroll would tap into the LAPD computer databases. Now that you have the address, getting the phone number is equally easy. A Pacific Bell employee, also on the take, would track it down, along with the coded numbers of the cables servicing the phone. The rest could have been done either in the central station or, if necessary, at a terminal box. Next to the red and green wires that service the line would be a tangle of yellow and black wires, what wiremen called the spare pair. Normally, the spare pair is used to hook up an extension or another line. Only now, the yellow and black wires would be, wiremen familiar with the technique theorized, spliced into the main line. And with the help of some techno magic, the subject's phone was a party line. And Pelicano was the one having the party. A phone (laughs) would ring, say, in a mansion in Bel Air or Brentwood, and automatically, silently, simultaneously, computers in his office on Sunset Boulevard would start taping the conversation. Every move you'd make, every plan you'd make, every vow you'd break, Pelicano would be listening to you. (laughs) Well played, well played. Right? So um, February of 2004, he pleads guilty to possession of illegal explosives and was sentenced to 30 months in prison. That's after that first raid. Right before he's, like, getting ready to get shipped off to the clink, 
He and six others are indicted and taken into custody on charges of, quote, conspiring to wiretap, blackmail, and intimidate dozens of celebrities and other targets. <sighs> so he first gets the 30 months. Now he's going back to court. Yeah. He pleads not guilty on this. Oh, He was held without bail after the prosecution, quote, alleged he was issuing threats from prison against potential witnesses. Now, I'm guessing at this point, all of his big lawyer friends have turned on him and he doesn't have the ability to get well, a good lawyer. some of lawyer. them are like in the crosshairs, too. That's what too. I figure. They, they want to have as much distance as they can. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so the trial begins in March of 2008. He represented himself. Oh, my God. That's no way to win. <laughs> he's not even a lawyer. No way to win. But he said he knew he was going to lose. And I know that. I mean, just hearing... He said he wasn't going to rat on anyone. Okay. He knew his employees would sing to the feds. Like Pavarotti. <laughs> but he said he knew the most about the case. <laughs> and he said he didn't know a lawyer smart enough to take the case. <laughs> so why pay if the inevitable, him going to jail, is going to happen? Way to get the insult in there to all the lawyers he knows on the way to, <laughs> I'm going to jail. He announced mid-trial that he would not take the stand. <laughs> Quote, I am not... Mr. Pelicano is not going to discuss conversations with clients. It's not going to happen, ever, no matter the consequence. He's sitting in one chair. Uh, Your Honor, just one second. I'm going to consult my client. Jumps chairs. <laughs> exactly. and whispers to himself and he listens. Okay, I guess he fights with himself. Jumps back chairs. Your Honor, my client is being unreasonable. <laughs> exactly. He said later, quote, I could have saved myself or at least done less time if I had even slightly cooperated with the government. I could have ruined many careers and lives, and I could have hurt many law enforcement personnel, government employees, even judges, but I would have dishonored myself for doing so. I remember them telling the court that they disagreed with my form of honor, but respected it. So he only likes to brag for little chits of like, hey, you know how cool I am. But when it comes down to like being able to free himself from anything, that's when the Omerita kicks Yeah, in. but no, the Omerita, I respect yeah, that, he you know? held firm. He held firm. So May of 2008, he's convicted on 76 counts of wiretapping, oh. racketeering, and other oh. charges. Oh. It took the judge an hour to read the full verdict. Oh, wow. Uh, he gets sentenced to 15 years in prison. That's all? He also, he had to forfeit more than $2 million that he made from his wiretapping work. Okay. Michael Ovitz, Brad Gray, Burt Fields, all of the other Hollywood elite in his orbit, they all escaped charges or implications. Of course. Uh, many thought the trial would implicate, you know, all of these elite, but it never did. But they can all say, I'd never, unless they have a tape of him saying, exactly. I will do this illegal thing for you. And then they're, they're lawyer, a lot of them are lawyers. They're not going to let somebody say that to exactly, them. Exactly. Exactly. So there were some who did get in trouble for their work with Pelicano. Non-lawyers? Uh, yeah. A former phone company worker was found guilty of racketeering, conspiracy, and wiretapping, but was acquitted of four of nine of the wiretapping counts. That's not bad. Um, remember Kevin Kachikian? Yes. Uh, he Telesleuth. Yeah, developed Telesleuth. He was convicted of possessing a wiretapping device and conspiracy to wiretap, but he got acquitted of nine counts of wiretapping. Hmm. Abner Nachiri, he was charged with listening to and translating a business adversary's inter uh, intercepted calls. Okay. He was convicted of aiding and abetting wiretapping. Mark Arneson, that LAPD sergeant uh -huh. who would run the plates. Yeah. Um, the feds found almost 100 times when Pelicano and Arneson accessed confidential law enforcement records, including FBI's National Crime Information Center database. Um, so they did this to get intel about targets, including Gary Shandling, uh, Kevin, Nealon, Kevin Nealon, dozens yeah. of others. Mm -hmm. uh, director John McTiernan, oh, yeah. diehard, Die hunt for Red totally. October. 
He was caught lying to FBI agents about having had Pelicano wiretap producer Charles Roven, who did Three Kings, Batman Begins. <laughs> he was later charged with two counts of making false statements to federal agents. There you go. Don't lie to the don't FBI. Don't lie to the FBI. And one, one count of perjury for a statement to a federal judge while seeking to withdraw his plea. And he got a year in prison. I'm telling you. A couple days after the initial indictment, Pelicano and Terry Christensen, a Hollywood lawyer, they were each indicted on two new counts of conspiracy and wiretapping. Hmm. Christensen pleaded not guilty. So that's one lawyer who went down. Um, December 2008, the L.A. Times reported that Mark Rossini, quote, a veteran FBI agent, has been accused of illegally accessing computers at bureau headquarters in Washington, D.C., and what prosecutors suspect was a failed bid to help Hollywood private eye Anthony Pelicano defend himself against federal racketeering and wiretapping charges. Oh. So he's accused of this and then turns around and, yeah. And does it. And then this guy's like, I'll take that money. When he did those searches, yes. the Rossini, he was dating actress Linda Fiorentino. Get out. I will not. Fiorentino, <laughs> friend of Pelicano. Of course. Yeah. I, I hear the O's. Yeah. So apparently she told Rossini, quote, she was researching a script about an L.A. wiretapper extraordinaire, Anthony Pelicano, <laughs> and needed to see the documents. The Pete Townsend defense. Exactly. I was doing research. Exactly. So Rossini, he pleads guilty to five misdemeanor counts of unauthorized FBI computer access. And he admitted to, quote, conducting more than 40 unauthorized searches of the Bureau's automated case support system, which contains confidential and sensitive information relating to ongoing and historic cases investigated by the FBI. Many of the searches related to the criminal case against Pelicano, who was tried and convicted earlier in Los Angeles. Yeah. So Rossini, he gets sentenced to a year probation. That's all? Yeah. Given a $5,000 fine. I thought he was going to get like one to three. Well, they're like, he's lovesick. You know, I don't know. He also <laughs> he had to resign. Linda Fiorentino, I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> he had to resign from the FBI. Um, in prison, Pelicano wrote haikus, did <laughs> did crosswords. So, like at this point, wrote haikus and did crosswords. He's me in college. He played chess. He read two thousand books. Okay, it's still me. And then he did high level geometry problems. So that's you. Okay, he's got one of me, mostly you. Mostly you. Uh, he said, "Quote." I don't make any friends. I'm absolutely unsociable. You have to understand, there are guys here who are looking for ways to get information to get their sentences reduced and all that. There's always a guy who will ask me a question that will lead to another question. So I just don't answer people. I keep to myself. Wow. And he made it through? Yeah. He was released on his 75th birthday, March 22nd, 2019. I guess he was such an old head that they just let him yeah. sit to the side. In 2018. He's hanging out in the chapel doing geometry. <laughs> exactly. 2018, he told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, the government claimed that I compromised the judicial system. And I did. <laughs> I was often the court of last resort for many. The court people, of last resort. People. The sin and, eater. And not just famous ones didn't pay me all that money just to hear stories about how I had failed to get things done. Oh, yeah. I always kept my word and I did everything I could, good, bad, or indifferent, to get the job done. And I was successful. Now, can you imagine the good at his job? Anthony Pelicano, who's out there right now doing all this same stuff for all that these we same don't people hear about? that we aren't going to hear about because exactly. they aren't going around going, hey, I'm Omerta, man. I'm Omerta. For every Joker we have on this podcast, you know, there's like, a few who are there's like, there's got to be another who, who we don't find out about. Yes. So he gets out. He has lost his PI license for good. Okay. No worries. He's still, quote, negotiated for friends. 2021, He's Ron, a security expert Ron, Ron Mayer, the vice chairman of NBC oh, Universal. Yeah. Uh-huh asked him to represent producer Joel Silver in a negotiation wow. with Canadian billionaire and businessman Daryl Cates. Okay. 
Pelicano, he got power of attorney to act on Silver's behalf for these negotiations. He got power of attorney for Joel Silver? Like limited power, yeah, not still, full. But yeah. Joel but Silver still. trusted him with power of attorney, uh-huh. the man who defended himself in court. And Pelicano wouldn't say how he settled the argument, but quote, folks in the media call me a fixer, so that's a term you could use. I'm legally allowed to do that. I'm yeah. a legal fixer. Right. So and, my, also, and my buddy, Louisville Slugger, well, he was with me. Well, then he said, me. quote, people like to call me a fixer. The term I use is negotiator. I negotiate on behalf of clients. Am I doing anything illegal? No, I am not. Ah. See, I like to call myself a facilitator. So I, here, uh, he settled the silver Kate's thing, sure. but then August of 22, Kate's hired him, apparently impressed with his fixing skills, despite <laughs> so being on the, the receiving end. So. Yeah. so Kate's had been accused of paying $75,000 for sex with a 17-year-old ballet dancer. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Ka- Kate said that they didn't have sex and that he paid her $50,000 for a proposed film project. And that anyway, she was 18. When he met her. Sir. Yeah. Sir. The allegations are dismissed in court, but Pelicano was able to get them dismissed, quote, with prejudice. Okay. So they wouldn't come up later. Yeah. Alec Baldwin. Alec, hey, A.B. Yeah. I have personal ties to him. Re- researcher Marissa described him as, quote, the ultimate sycophant, which hmm. is so spot on. That's a really good call. Yeah. Baldwin, he interviewed Pelicano for his podcast, Here's the Thing. Okay. Uh, here's Baldwin kissing up to Pelicano. Quote, <laughs> I do believe from the research I've done, you're obviously a very smart guy. You're a very tough guy. You're a guy with a lot of principles. You went through hell because of your principles. But when you really tortured yourself in service of your principles. Like, he would 100%, but 200% have hired him and then said, I want to hear the legal stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then right now he's just saying, don't ever come at me with yeah. this. Um, Pelicano told Alec Baldwin, quote, to me— the most important thing in my life was honor and my word. It still is today because they took everything away and that's what I've got left. And that's all I really cherish. When I had a client, they became a member of my family and nobody f- with my family. Sir, none of your family talks to you. Well, apparently money <laughs> buys entry into the family. Yes, that's how it works. So what's your ridiculous takeaways, Aaron? Thanks for asking. These um, <laughs> these rental families, I just do not trust them. I know. Like, yeah. Even if you're talking about the real mafia or just the Pelicano mafia, <laughs> if I'm buying my way into a family, I don't know. I, I mean, know. money mm-hmm. spends so quick. Exactly. What's your ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth? Exactly what yours was. Oh, nice. Look at that. (laughs) Symmetry. That's all I have for today. You can find us online at RidiculousCrime.com. We're also at RidiculousCrime on both Twitter and Instagram. Email us at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. Leave a talk back on the iHeart app. Reach out. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. That's me. Produced and edited by president of Telesleuth Industries, Dave Kustin. That's him. Research is by crooked LAPD officer Marissa Brown and proud owner of a fishmonger slash florist shop, Andrea Song Charpentier. <laughs> the theme song is by legendary talent agent Thomas Lee and unhinged film producer Travis Dutton. Post wardrobe is provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben, I can help you out, honey, Fallen, and Noel, your family, baby, round. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.